What is going on, guys? It is episode 25 of the official Kraus House podcast. Of course, I'm with Commodore. Who's a famous 25? I think 25. Robert Ori comes to mind. That's the first one. I was going to say Robert Ori. I think Steve Kerr. Al Jefferson, I think, were 25. 25 is light. There's an opportunity for a rookie to come in and own 25. That's for sure. Excited about the episode today. Let's start off with our favorite topic here. Let's talk about the NBA All-Star game. I think is the first thing to come to mind. What are the biggest takeaways? I well, let's let's keep it All-Star weekend. I think I can I can think of a few things off the top. It was a very eventful All-Star weekend, but I'll let you start it off. Yeah, I mean, the dunk contest was incredibly disappointing. Three-point contest was okay. I mean, it is what it is, but the All-Star game continues to shine. I feel like I went on our last episode and said that kind of in reverse order. Well, I was most excited for three-point contest, but that one kind of was medium. But man, the game was certainly another great product. So it's fun to see the game revive itself, although the dunk contest seems doomed for death. What about you? You have so many thoughts. Obviously, the forgotten son of the All-Star Weekend, like skills competition, didn't even watch, couldn't tell you who won. You didn't even mention it. So like they should probably scrap that and do something else. But like this basketball kind of youtube nerd and so like i have a good lay of the land if these they actually call them professional dunkers people that, that just have just insane bounce and so when you look at these guys on youtube they probably can't you know can't shoot they're not that great but i've been desensitized to some of the dunks that are able to be pulled off by human beings and so when i see like jalen green do like a windmill it's kind of crazy to think about it's absurdly nasty dunk um, but compared to what you're seeing from 16 year olds online these days it's like okay i guess so i feel like the the dunk contest besides the aaron gordon and zach levine uh, showdowns has lost its luster for a long time which be cool if you could have people outside of the nba compete too that would be kind of interesting especially because a lot of these guys have huge followings but three-point contest i actually thought it was really cool that cat won i mean that's like a seven footer winning the three point contest is, is kind of an awesome headline. I mean, especially he, he beat out some some top notch shooters, which is cool. And then the game itself was incredible. Obviously pretty close for most of the game. Obviously they're playing quarter by quarter for charity, which I think is cool. I mean, we left out Steph. That's a, a insane what he did in that game. I think 16 threes. I don't know, man. All in all, despite the weak dunk contest, I thought it was a pretty good weekend. Yeah, you're totally right about the, the dunking and the way that the media works. I mean, I think of like, I open up TikTok and it'll just, and then there's some guy, like you said, like a professional dunker. I don't think he can hoop at all. And he can like hit his head on the top of the backboard. Not being a facetious, but like <laughs> he's terrible at basketball and can dunk like insane. And so you were sitting there scrolling through TikTok and you see this dunk you've never seen before at a crazy level. And then you see these players and a lot of these guys aren't even, you know, they don't even get a lot of minutes in some cases on their teams. And then you watch them do worse dunks than that. They're in a really tough spot because I remember to date myself being in like the early 90s and literally going to like Blockbuster and renting like Outrageous Slams 92 VHS tape and throwing it in there. <laughs> and it was just just grainy footage of just all these crazy dunks from all these random games. And that was my like, holy shit, these are the best dunks I've ever seen. And then when you go watch the dunk contest with Dominique Wilkins doing, you know, a windmill, whatever, it's like, like it was like, that's exactly what I had saw. But now that I have TikTok all the time, it's like, it's just not up for par. And I don't know if the NBA can solve that. Like, I don't know if putting randoms in there would work. I could see a sort of, I heard an interesting idea of like where you hire them as consultants and they sort of bring dunks and stuff. And maybe there's like some sort of team dunk situation where it's you paired an NBA guy with a pro dunker. So you're getting a little bit of both or something, but they got to try something. 
Yeah, actually, so that exists. I forgot what his name is. I think it's Chuck, but he started, is it Team Flight Brothers or, or Flight Brothers or something like that? It's like a popular Instagram account. Every year he has at least one dunker that he consults for to do it. So I, yeah, I think it's more about an athletic ability thing. Like some people are just have 50 inch vertical jumps. Like obviously the players in the competing in the NBA dunk contest are better at the game of basketball than these guys. But like sometimes you just can't teach that stuff. So it's like, yeah, I don't know what the NBA could do about it. I wish the injury risk wasn't so high, but I wish they did those one-on-ones that you see online. And then I wish they filmed (laughs) it and then went live with the best ones. Like that's what you sort of like watch a segment. But it's like, dude, imagine LeBron going up against like Giannis, you know, like, and Giannis is trying to block and vice versa. Like that's one thing the NBA could bring, but I think the injury risk is just way too high. I see those too. And the number one thing that comes to my mind is like, where are these kids? Dude, like I like in my high school, maybe two people could have had that competition. And like, I'm watching these things with like dusty gyms in the middle. Like some of the kids have backpacks on and they're just doing windmill dunks on their friends. I'm like, Wait, who who are who are these people? But yeah, I actually see those a lot. And yeah, if you saw like just man, yeah, two two just beasts going at it head to head, that would be that would be pretty cool. But yeah, the injury risk, I don't think it's worth it. Like one thing, I don't know if you caught this. I mean, I'm sure you did, right? And it caught me off guard, I should say, was the Elam ending that they introduced at, in the fourth quarter. So for those that aren't familiar or, or maybe didn't watch it, basically they took I forgot who was leading at the time. I think it was Team LeBron, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, they take the leading team's score and they add 24 points to it. And basically, that's the goal. So the first one to get to that score wins the game. And so I know it sounds kind of confusing, but it's supposed to limit, you know, running the clock out, late game fouls. It's basically kind of immediately turns to playground rules, which is the first one to the score just wins the game, which is kind of an interesting, interesting angle. And I'm glad they incorporated it because obviously we saw probably the best use case of that with LeBron's turnaround jumper to win the game, which was incredible to see. But kind of hearing some buzz of like, hey, should the NBA actually think about doing this and incorporating this uh, into the regular season? What, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd love to see them experiment it within the G League or in Summer League or preseason or something like that to, to make sure they obviously feel comfortable with it. And I know that's part of their process for most of this stuff anyway. But I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, anyone who's played hoops, you know the difference when you're down, you know, 10-8 and you're playing to 11. That feeling of you guys like hitting a three and not tying it up to 10-10 and the energy now, obviously with no refs, like obviously now everyone starts calling every foul and every carry and the moving screen and you get into some of the ticky tackness, but obviously they have refs. So they get to solve that piece of it. That intensity is just, it's some of the best basketball moments that you'll ever feel from a competitive sense. And then you contrast that with these like late, you know, end game situations. It's not necessarily the the like 10 seconds left games tied feeling because that is the same intense level. It's when the one team's up four and there's a minute to go. And like you find yourself playing an entirely different game of basketball. You're being really conservative, make sure you pass the ball, a lot of, you know, working late into the shot clock. And to me, that's just that's just not basketball. I think that feeling that you feel in those pickup games. So I, I think the new scoring mechanism, I think would do amazing things for the game, make it more interesting, more entertaining. And it solves a lot of problems. Absolutely. So I'd love to see it. What about you? I agree. I mean, not too much to add. I think we've played in competitive leagues over the years. And yeah, it's just that that the run the clock out, late game fouls, not only does it extend the game, but I think yeah, like just that that playground mentality of like, hey, first 
first one to 11, first one to 15. Like that's, like you said, when you're, when you're kind of up against that close game at the end, the mentality is weirdly different. And I would like to see the best athletes in the world incorporate that and see that. I think it's going to make for some really exciting fourth quarters. Also yeah. on the docket, I know a little bit separate, is a 58-game season, which is kind of interesting. What are your thoughts? I'm torn on expanding the seasons, contracting the seasons. Something comes to mind, something like baseball, 162 games. I mean, like, come on, it's kind of ridiculous. But what are your thoughts on, on dropping the total games per season down? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's like, I don't really care if it's short or longer. I mean, this number of just general ballpark of like 50 to 70 games feels, well, sorry, 50 to I guess maybe 100 is maybe the range. But I, I guess, I mean, if we, if it's for load management and whatnot, I think that's okay. I think as a fan, what I really want is when, you know, the big marquee matchup, and I'm, I'm a Bucks fan, so it's like Bucks nets right? It's like, I don't want Giannis, to, Giannis and Middleton and Harden and Kyrie to sit and, you know, do this weird thing. And Coach Bud is, he's stopped doing this as much in, in the later part of his tenure in Milwaukee, but in his early days, every big in-season marquee matchup, he always sat one star. And I always thought it was really clever because I felt like if the Bucks win, there was like this motivation to say like, hey, we beat them without, you know, player X. And if you lose, you're like, well, we lost because we didn't have player X. And I was always like, that's just like a really fascinating strategy from a coaching perspective. But as a fan perspective, like, I just like, I, I want to see incredible in-season game matchups. And so if they move to 58 and they feel like that will reduce load management and you'll get bigger players playing in bigger throughout the season, then I think it's a win. And the, one other tangential piece of that is just the load management in general. I feel terrible for, you know, a kid who, you know, Sacramento fan, the Bucks come to town, he wants to watch Giannis and Bud sits him, you know, rest him. It's just like, that's just really shitty for a fan and, and that that kid and that family. And like, I just want to see our stars playing in most games and when they're healthy and doing less load management. So if this does it, then all right. So what I think you're saying is maybe keep the length of the season the same, but just have 58 games instead of 81, right? And so it's like you bake in, you know, like an NFL equivalent would be like a bye week, right? You bake in maybe four or five days off for a team, give them kind of a travel day and some rest days to recuperate with the expectation that the best players are going to play. One, you know, even going back to the NFL, it's like with only 16 games, right? The difference of you... Uh, making or not making the playoffs sometimes comes down to a single game, right? So you know you're always going to get your best players playing. Definitely not suggesting NBA goes down to 16 games, but if there was a shorter <laughs> season, I think you'd be under the assumption that you know every game will matter slightly more, which totally. is which is which is interesting. Yeah, the NFL. I mean, to your point, it's a really great constraint because the NFL has probably the opposite problem which is there's so few games that you have guys and so few plays. You know, if you're a defensive end or something like that, like you, you want to get your snaps in if you're a star player. So now you're fighting through concussions and injuries and you're just like, you're doing anything you possibly can to your body to be out there. And it's like, well, okay, maybe if we played 30 games, you get that concussion, you wouldn't be as, so pressured to go back in and play that game. Now, obviously, football is not going to work in that way because you're probably going to add twice as much damage to your body. But the point sort of, yeah, it's like, I just want our stars playing in, in big games. And I will say as a fan, though, I'd be sad. I mean, I love um, being able to randomly tune into these games every night, check the scores in the morning. Like, it's certainly... It's a certainly fun experience to have a lot of games going on. Yeah, I feel like I'd be more inclined. Like, I say this, but I feel like I would be more inclined to watch more games that weren't, call it like, you know, prime time, right? The the ESPN or the TNT games if the season were shorter. But, you know, I, I, w I can't say definitively until 
until they actually do it. So interesting. Some some rule changes on the docket. We got to keep a lookout for them. Who knows if they'll do them, but still an interesting thought experiment. So <laughs> moving on, our bad DAO idea was was pretty well received. <laughs> we got some we got some interesting. Well, I don't even bad. It's just like some crazy ideas. Way more doomsday preppers out there than I had thought or slash hoped. But I think a lot of people are in your camp, Commodore, as uh, as, as prepping for the for the apocalypse, which is cool to see. But one we were kind of kicking around the other day, which is kind of interesting, is this IP DAO. So I'm kind of a big fan of this strategy of taking really recognizable IP, especially if you if it's maybe a bit dated or you can get a decent valuation for that and kind of modernizing it and taking that and leveraging that for industry that may not be as sexy as some other ones. And so I think probably the best example I could think of with kind of this Web3 component is Blockbuster DAO, right? I think a decentralized streaming platform of some kind will exist. And I think that there's probably gonna be multiple players that go to market. And I think a really interesting strategy to take that and whether or not it succeeds is still very much TBD, but an interesting strategy to take that to market is take something like Blockbuster, right? So you're tapping into this nostalgic feel and everyone got sad when anyone who's walked into block, all Blockbusters had like that weird, smell the blockbuster smell right and like you got the candy out your mom or dad lets you pick out a game or two in a movie like there was an experience there that still resonates very much in the brain but obviously netflix just absolutely kicked their ass and so could you revitalize that feeling except you know kind of go after and play the narrative of like you know the revenge of of blockbuster dow by doing a decentralized streaming platform with the Blockbuster IP. I just think it's an interesting concept. I've seen that across a couple of different industries, but it got us thinking, Commodore and I, like how many things could you do that for? Like, could you buy Netscape IP? Could you buy MySpace? MySpace had a little bit of a resurgence, but you know, in the in the, when it was in the doldrums, like could you scoop MySpace IP to challenge Facebook, right? And run it as a DAO. I feel like the opportunities are endless. But Commodore, how would this work? How do you envision this doing this? What are some kind of targeted names that you think this could really apply to? And then how would it operate? Do you do a bunch of them at once and operate it as a fund? Like, is this a DAO? Is it kind of a, a hybrid approach? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest problems with this idea is that you kind of have to do it silently, right? Like you, you kind of can't really constitution DAO it because as soon as you identify one and you put together a thesis on why it's really interesting, then it's going to drive up the price and then you're going to lose the alpha that you had by identifying that opportunity. So I do wonder if it's sort of like you, you raise funds together against a general narrative and then you probably create some sort of subsidiary to go do the negotiations with the actual brands. But I think it, there's probably two paths. One is you do it on a per brand basis of like, hey, I want to do this business. What's the closest brand that I can piggyback off of? Or you do it as a sort of a collection. You make a massive fund, you know, 500 million, billion, 2 billion, and you're buying up a bunch of these assets and then sort of looking to deploy them against interesting products, right? So you can go kind of go with the product and then the brand or the brand and then the product. And so I think both of those paths uh, would be super interesting. But just to highlight a couple of them, and I'm just looking at a list on Wikipedia, and there's even more because like you and I were talking about like gateway computers, which... Actually, a Chinese company did do this, basically. They're working with a lower-end like Walmart laptop distributor, rebranding everything, gateway computers with the cow print. But Sega Dreamcast, Microsoft Zune, there's Toys R Us brand, Shopco brand. Uh, Shopco is probably not a great one. Hollywood Video, you know, the opposite side of Blockbuster. Uh, Circuit City, right? There's just like all sorts of these different brands. And I'm just, there's sodas and there's, there's food and there's cereals. And 
there's just a bunch of different brands like this that I think have a lot of nostalgia value. That that's really what you're tapping into. It's like where is the kind of consumer in their you know late 20s, mid 30s, you know 40s kind of range? Uh, what brands were were they in love with when they were children that have failed that you can tap into? And I think there's just a, it's a really interesting mechanism, and a DAO could be really uniquely suited to capitalize and take advantage of it. Yeah, I think the mental model or the framework that you're working is anything that you think could be disruptive in the Web3 space, right? Like that new angle. Is there something from the 90s or the early 2000s where the IP would be sold, obviously at a discount, and you could leverage that brand and apply it to grab some headlines as a go-to-market strategy? And so I think like that with that framework set in place, I feel like there's there's a bunch that come to mind, which is really... Toys R Us is really interesting too. I don't know how that apply, but like kids these days have no idea. And the dopamine that just blasted you as soon as those automatic doors swung open, that was that was something that they just won't have the luxury of experiencing. Another angle to kind of consider is moving down one level. And so instead of thinking about it at the brand level, thinking about it at the product line level, so like that IP might be still owned. There's a TikTok channel that I bump into every once in a while. It's like 90s TV or something like that. And he just Maybe it's a different one where he's doing, but he's, it's like basically this showing of like 90s products that we all saw on Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network all the time, but none of our friends actually owned. And so like you could play into that space too, where it's like, what are all those things that we all recognize from that, that you could then spin yeah, into, a, into a crypto native angle or something like that. And like the ones that's jumping to my mind that I did know some people with like those moon boot, you no, know, like those trampoline for your feet things. <laughs> Right, like those, yeah, yeah. and there was like that muzzy language learning thing, right? Like stuff like that, right? Where you can just tap into it and, and anything to look kind of low hanging fruit. Yeah, super, super interesting. Well, who knows? We're not ruling it out. IP DAO could, could get spun up. We'll see, or someone could actually go and do that, but, but hit us up and cut us a royalty if it takes off. That's all we ask. So let's get into some Krausehouse related things. Obviously, huge announcement this week, this past week. We're launching the official accelerator. I wouldn't even spoil anything. We're so excited about some of the opportunities in there and some of the founders that we've been meeting. We're still actually adding to the roster of cohort members, but why don't you go ahead and explain what the Krausehouse Accelerator is, maybe the story behind how we kind of came up with the with the idea, what is the impact of it and how we're thinking about maybe some of the mechanics around the cohort. Yeah, so I think like one of the things that we learned really quickly with this idea was that it makes sense for just about every sport. And we did an episode, actually I did an episode on, on my own podcast with Lou Kay, who, who ended up being one of our, our bigger kind of core contributors at, at Crosshouse. And we really started talking about this idea that at the end of the day, if you really abstract it, it's this idea of this group of talented people performing some sort of entertainment thing, right? So it could actually be music, it could be theater, uh, it could be even sports that are like, you know, all the way down to like local you know, youth level, all the way up to, you know, the, the MBA and, and these things. And so when you sort of abstract all of that and you say, OK, what is Crosshouse doing? It's like we're going after this very specific sliver. But all the pieces that touch that are all very similar. And there's just some slight differences in, in structure or whatever it may be. And so we're spending time, energy and money on understanding how we can get to these run and operate a decentralized sports organization. So the things that we're learning and sort of producing are legal frameworks, operational frameworks, governance frameworks, fan revenue frameworks, technology frameworks. And so you start to have this realization that like, hey, like all of this stuff is stuff that we could just share and we could just go do this with a bunch of other people that are motivated for their particular sport. 
So the thing that we really wanted to find with the right balance, and we were just, we went through Seed Club and really loved Seed Club's teams, kind of like how they approached building this incredible network and sharing knowledge. We realized that there was this opportunity to kind of do something, but more specifically kind of in this sports niche and say, hey, what if we all collectively work towards this idea together? And so what we basically have done is announced that we want to share our ideas and our resources, our time and our money to work with motivated folks that are passionate about bringing this general idea to the world. We're also like open to just people doing innovative things in the sports kind of crypto space because we're almost all kind of fans and crypto enthusiasts. And so that's just sort of a natural playground for us. And we want to find people that are really motivated about, hey, like I love baseball and I want to go and do this for baseball. It's like, okay, cool. Like let's just share our networks and let's go after this together. And so we have a bunch of really exciting projects that are joining this in us. And we're really just really want to build this. Like what if there's a Krause house for every single sport? What does that look like? And we think that happens through the accelerator and sharing and aligning our incentives and, and changing the world together. So there's a couple of projects I do want to quick highlight and features. One is a team F1 DAO. They're kind of going after owning and operating an F1 team. What's super exciting about that is F1 is a massive global sport that's really focused on growing in the U.S. and they've been having some traction here in the U.S. And so I think that's one of those fast growing sports that might be really interesting and very just broadly appealing to the international community. Another one is is Diamond Gloves, which is an MMA decentralized league, which is just incredibly exciting. And Flex, if you want to highlight one or two other projects, too. Yeah. Well, even I'll take I'll take a step back and kind of some of the some of the backstory, too, is one thing that's really interesting about. Like we're very transparent in saying that we probably made more mistakes than we got right, right? Like we are operating with this duocracy mindset in prioritizing action over overthinking, right? So we kind of want to see more broadly, like you mentioned, this should apply to every sport, every team, and every league across the world, right? And so we think this just benefits the entire sports ecosystem more broadly. And sports looks fundamentally different if the first few people do this and they do it correctly. So why kind of hoard the information and the lessons that we've learned? Let's pass this along to people that that are, are attempting to do the same thing. And so this is something that we're, we're really excited about, not even just working with people that want to buy teams, but disrupting entire leagues, right? And so we're excited about doing that. We talked to some excellent founders. I think one of the ones that I'm personally really excited about, I don't know if you've talked to a bunch, uh, is one called Signing Day. They are basically looking for opportunities in this NIL space for collegiate athletes. And for those that aren't familiar with NIL, it's basically these very loose set of rules. And I think they're, they're still very much in flux and still being ironed out, but how collegiate athletes could uh, make money off their likeness. But prior to NIL rules, it's athletes in college could not have any income. And so they're basically just on, on scholarship. They're, they're kind of looking at things like if you are the starting quarterback at Clemson or the shortstop at Arizona State, right? Like can you either launch player DAOs or different NFTs to allow people to, again, capitalize off their likeness, but in kind of this Web3 crypto native way? And so awesome team over there. Super excited about that. And we won't drop in too much alpha, but there's there's a few more that are currently in the works that we're also really, really excited about as well. So worth diving in. Like, how do you envision this working? Like, what are some of the things that we're going to be teaching? What are some of the things that we are going to allow people to kind of learn on their own? What does the cohort kind of look like as it kicks off? Yeah, I mean, it's really focused on thinking about what are some insights that we've learned and as well as sourcing people from our community and our broader network about like, how do you build a community? 
how do you memify your mission in a way that you know really captivates? I think one thing that Flex and I learned from our last startup was we were really intellectual with it, and we we went down this journey of really pushing ourselves with Krausehouse to be the exact opposite of that. And, and we've had some success in getting traction on that. And we want to explore that as a workshop with the different projects of how do you position what you're doing and how do you make that sort of that elevator pitch for people to kind of latch on and, and get excited about it. Um, how do you think about tokenomics? What are some of the legal structures that we can use for ownership vehicles? And we've made a bunch of progress on that that we're really excited to share and that we think are really reasonable structures for these more conservative leagues to wrap their head around and get excited about a DAO sitting on a cap table in that form, as well as just like working with the people in your cohort. I think that was one of the things that we learned through the Krausehouse experience through C-Club was that we got to know the cabin DAO guys really, really well. And those have been a source of some of our most sort of interesting and inspirational knowledge sharings between those two communities. And, you know, at first glance, what are the overlaps between something like Cabin Down and Krausehouse? It's, it's pretty low. But then when you kind of sit down and start working, you realize a lot of the problems are, are very similar. And so working with teams in your cohort is the other magic. And then tapping into our broader network as well as sort of the third piece of it. And so, you know, there's some kind of tactical stuff. There's some collaboration type stuff. And there's some network stuff that I think is is really powerful about any type of accelerator that anyone's kind of putting together that's that's operating at a high level. One thing I would add to that is, is also this dynamic of sports. I think some people, some DAOs, right? If you're, especially if you're a digital native one, maybe if you're collecting NFTs or something like that, there is basically you're kind of crypto native up and down the chain. Right? So it's like you are operating as a DAO and your goal is to use tokens to buy NFTs. So up and downstream, it's all digital. I think as soon as you add kind of this IRL component, which is sports, like now you're tapping into an industry which has its own you know, heuristics, its own ways of doing things. Obviously, it's going to vary league to league and it's going to vary internationally. But I think another thing that we want to do is we've learned so much from trying to navigate how to think about conversations with people in the front office, how to think the journalists that write in the sports industry, right? It's like, this is an industry that's been around for a while. So we are the new kids on the block, kind of bringing these crypto native and, and Web3 primitives into their space. And I think some of the things that we've learned along that way could also be applied too. So not just necessarily helping you navigate and growing communities or DAOs or launching products, but we would like to also incorporate how to think about dealing with ownership groups, how to possibly deal with leagues and commissioners. These are conversations that we've had that we've learned very much from. And so we want to pass that information along as well. So it's kind of double dipping into, into both industries that look on paper very different. So helping navigate that bridge between the two. Yeah, I had, I had a really interesting call with a new sports acquisition DAO and they're just getting started, but they had a bunch of preconceived notions about how the ownership groups might perceive them and they're in a relatively conservative league that might be you know less open-minded to this but what i just found so interesting was us just kind of jamming on on the opportunity was just the insight we were able to share of like hey owners are going to be thinking about it through the lens of you know is this a structure that the ownership group and and the commissioner are going to approve how does this help me drive increase in either revenue or valuation and sort of thinking about the business side of it which is very different than the way that you sort of have to think and talk about it to the broader community and sort of the buyer side, right? And just this us journey of either back channeling with these ownership groups or talking to them directly, 
you start to get a sense of like, oh, okay, like this is sort of the shared language. If you kind of think about the Venn diagram of the buyer side and then the seller side, and then where Krauss is sort of sitting in the middle, there's a playbook to sort of really structure a, a compelling pitch for both sides of that. And I think Krauss is one of the you know uniquely suited communities out there that have that probably has a lot of the most experience kind of exploring that. And then you have to then add the crypto nativeness to that, right? Because just doing that from a traditional buying and selling perspective is sort of self-explanatory, but doing that with crypto native fan revenue drivers and experience drivers, like that's, I think, sort of the magic. And so this is probably a window of, a, of a stuff as well. So, you know, I don't know if the Krauss Accelerator, at least in the sports acquisition side of, of the accelerator, forever accelerator, but because as Dow sit on the cap table, I think it'll become, we'll be able to release sort of like some standard, you know, safe note style documentation out there. Like, hey, this is how you structure it. Maybe there's a platform that we're enabling to do, have that happen. But that's kind of the framing of, of how we think about it. And I think selling that kind of structure to these ownership groups and us doing that collectively and learning and sharing all of that is just going to be really, really powerful. So I'm super excited to kick it off. And it starts on Monday. So it's coming quick and it's going to be a hell of a ride. Completely agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. One thing that's kind of cool too is the structure. We, you, you mostly touched on this, but I think how we structure, we want to basically allow learnings from within the Krauss house. So mistakes we made, interesting insights and gems that we found out that we can apply. We would like to bring in people from other Web3 communities because just because it worked for Krauss house or did not work for Krauss house doesn't mean it's the right way to think about things. So I want to hear from people from other Web3 communities that can apply their knowledge and understanding we have a, a segment called the film room, which is kind of like an open end review, identifying specific problems with each of the cohort members and kind of understanding them very much like any team would have a film session, right? Like, hey, what went wrong with that or what went right with that? And applying that cutting horizontally across the other cohort members. So there's frameworks and guidelines, but hopefully on the other side, we leave the communities with enough ammo to really go and take over the sports world, which we're really excited about. Kind of tease as we wrap up here, some awesome, stay tuned, we have some awesome collabs coming up that we're super excited about with non kind of web three and more kind of the traditional web two, but very, very strong brands. So be on the lookout on Twitter and Discord for, for some of those upcoming announcements. Anything else, Commodore? Anything else you gotta mention as we wrap up here? Yeah, bucks and six. <laughs> oh gosh. Man, that summer cannot come fast enough, dude. We're halfway through it. I can't wait till we retire. Yeah, you told me I have until until the, the new champion is is crowned. So I got to get him in while I can. Yeah, it sounds about right. Until someone else is holding up that Larry O'Brien tr trophy, it's yours. So I'm glad you have a platform to continue to to say it every week because I will be celebrating the day when it's when it's when it's over. Let's Sorry. be real. If the Wizards won and you guys had a little catchy saying like that, then you know you guys would you'd be probably saying it as much as I would be. Oh, 100 percent. That's why I'm not too upset. I just can't wait till it's over. Yeah. As a fan, I have a championship under my belt, and yes, I know the feeling. You're buzzing for for the entire year. So um, is that was that the Auburn win that you're talking about here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. National championship there. Should have had one in basketball, but listen, we don't want to go down that road. I'll start. They here. lost a game the other. Are they still number one now? No, no, number three. Yeah, which is fine. Right. Hey, it's a lot of pressure to win out as number one and, and make it all the way through. So, yeah, good, great teams uh, normally do though. Shots fired. I'm a Wisconsin right. fan, and so I have no recourse here. Yeah, no, you can't talk. You're right. All right, gang. We'll appreciate you listening. We'll be in touch and wag bat. Wag bat.